If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Welcome to BP Wrigley Cast, the Cubs podcast that looks at the game from both the analytical and the fans' point of view. It's great to be back after uh, missing out last week. Fight Club was great. I can't say much more about it than that. Uh, so you can't tell us if you won or lost Joel, or anything? Joel, what did I just say? I just said it. Like, if you were listening, you would have heard. I'm so excited to hear about it, though. I'll tell you offline. Actually, no, I won't. Um, but I'm back. But Ryan Davis is not here. Uh, he's away at summer camp, so we should we should have him back uh, next week. Uh, but with me, uh, Isaac and Joel. Thanks for having me back, guys. I thought maybe I'd get uh, kicked out. Yeah, well, you get one more chance. Um, by the way, I'm really excited that Ryan is going to. Um, he promised to uh, make a really nice macrame bracelet for me, so I'm really excited oh, about cool. that. Yeah, it's nice. really, really sweet. Well. I, yeah, we, we wanted to kick you out, Carlos, but to be honest, we've been getting some user feedback, and apparently you're the only popular one, so... Yeah. I'm the Donald Trump of this podcast. I, I was going to say you're the Bernie Sanders of the podcast. I was thinking you're the Hillary Clinton of the podcast. I'm terrible. At, I'm, I think political analogies, I'm worse. At, the only thing I'm worse at is the over-under game, so... <laughs> you're not good at that. We're going to have to bring that back at some point, but... That's another so thing. let's let, let's jump in with our first our first topic that we wanted to cover, and that's um, a guy that isn't in the major leagues right now. I mean, the Cubs again have been doing very well. They went five and two over the past week. Uh, everything's coming up roses for the Cubs. So wanted to focus on a guy down at AAA, Wilson Contreras. Uh, most most prospect lists have him at number two. He's been absolutely killing it uh, with the bat uh, in Iowa. So I wanted to talk a little bit about him. Uh, because I'm working on a piece uh, that kind of looks at you know what he's doing, how his development is going down there, and everything's everything's you know like I said looking great. Let me I'm bring up the numbers now. He's hitting he's hitting 335, uh, 428 on base percentage, slugging 585. He's got nine home runs, which is more than he hit all of last season at Double A Tennessee, where he won the batting title. So the bat is coming around just fine. Uh, he's 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 doing great. Everything's great, um, but the thing that I kind of focused on, uh, and I've written about this in the past, is uh, this front office has has shown in their moves, uh, both last year and this year, how much they value pitch framing. And and, and I want to get Isaac's feedback on this because uh, they've they've shown time and time again in the acquisition of Dave Ross, in the acquisition of uh, Miguel Montero, um, and in getting rid of Wellington Castillo, that this is something important to them. So regardless of what we think of the metric, uh, it's something worth 
you know, keeping tabs on. And so I wanted to look at how that number looks uh, for Wellington Castillo, um, I mean, Wilson Contreras, sorry, at AAA. And right now it's, it's still negative. Uh, so it still marks him as below average. It's minus 3.1. Uh, right now, last year at AA, it was at minus 7.6, so you can call that maybe an improvement so far, uh, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think about uh, this this idea that everybody's kind of anointing him as he's going to be the next, uh, you know, the the, uh, the next catcher for years and years to come, and especially after you look at what he's doing in his first run at AAA, but there's the framing part of it, so Isaac, what do you make of this? Uh, I think it's a little bit like pointing out Cindy Crawford's mole, to be honest. Um, hey, uh, Carlos, that's how you do an analogy. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hang up, Isaac. It's you're done. There's nowhere to go but down from here. Thank you. I've peaked. I've peaked. I've, I've told. I've been. Yeah. I've peaked many times, and it's always Ooh. been. It always been true. A little too quickly. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, it's very sophomoric. The guy is hitting 339 after his hit tonight. He's getting on base at a tremendous rate. He's incredibly athletic, has an amazing arm. I can't even fathom somebody critiquing his pitch framing oh, right and now. I, and I forgot you mentioned this, but I forgot to mention, he almost has as many walks as strikeouts, which I love in a player. Yeah, I, everyone else in the world can have every pitch framing metric that they want. I'll take Wilson Contreras. I, I just <laughs> I, I can't. I mean, here's the thing. The strike zone's probably going to change next year, so I don't know what that tells you about the how unpredictable umpires are and how much the game is going to change coming up soon. I'm advocating hugely for hashtag automate, which I think will happen sooner rather than later because everyone is sick of umpires doing a terrible <laughs> job calling balls and strikes. You think that'll happen sooner yeah, rather than I later? Am, I do. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yep. I'm... I'm skeptical about that. I was too. 12 months ago I was uh, right right in your camp Joel and now I'm just sick of it. I mean tonight Chris Bryant got a strike called on him 4 or 5 inches outside which changes his entire at bat. I just I I think that within within 10 years I think it's it's either going to happen or it's going to be on the precipice of happening. I, I'm in the minority there but I think it'll be a radical change. Anyway, back to back to Contreras. Um, Theo Epstein has raved about his defense and True. I remember Kyle Schwarber being compared to to, to Wilson Contreras and Epstein cut off the commenter, it was a, a radio host, and said, oh, no, no, you can't compare anybody to, to Contreras right now. This is a major league catcher that he was saying, no, 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 you can't compare him to Contreras. So he's got a raw skill set that still needs refining behind the plate, and I'm not saying he's a gold glove catcher. I'm not saying he ever will be, but I love his arm. Uh, I love his athleticism, and I think he can be an above-average defensive catcher and uh, I don't see any reason why he won't be the best hitting catcher in the game within a few years. What do you think, Joel? I mean, yeah, I tend to I tend to agree, uh, just in the fact that um, I don't know. I there's part of me that I first of all I'm wondering framing. I wonder if that's something that can be taught at some point. And you know, everyone's the conventional wisdom is that David Ross is going to be with this team for several years. Um, if he doesn't, you know, after the season doesn't get like an eight-year, $147 million contract. Um, but I think that I think that he's the everyone's saying that he's going to stay with the team as a coach. So you know, if you've got this guy who's got all the talent in the world and you've got David Ross teaching him, I don't know. Part of me wonders if framing. I don't know, Isaac. I think you've talked about this, or someone someone was skeptical about framing, just thinking. I wonder if it's getting a little too clever. I mean, obviously there's obviously there's something to it, but 
I you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater or overlook Cindy Crawford because of her mole. And I think you just can't overlook someone of this level of talent because you know at this point his framing uh, skills are a little wanting. I think that um, I mean he's forcing himself to. I mean, I, there's no doubt in my mind he'll be up by you know before the end of the season, obviously. Um, and I think he. You can never predict. I mean, Rizzo, you know, had a pretty rough go of his first time through, but I think that I think they are looking at their long-term um, catcher for for the next several years, and and I think he is the. We we can talk about this later. Like, what trade? If do you see them making a trade? And I think it's pretty clear they want a uh, they need a lefty reliever. I don't know what else you do. Although tonight Solaire went out. You guys probably saw this. He went out. He tweaked his hamstring again, which has been a problem of his for since he's been up. As he said, leg problems. So maybe you want to um, you know do something in left field. But my point, what I was getting to, is that I think that the guy, the one guy, they will not trade. The one prospect they will not trade is Contreras. I think that he is here to stay. And, and, and listen, I'm I'm on board. I mean, I think you look at what he's doing and his development, and and what Isaac pointed out, the language that this front office is using when they speak of him, it all points to this is not a guy that they want to let go. If his framing turns out to be average or slightly below average, do I think they're going to say, nope, his framing is no good. We're going to get get rid of him. I don't think so. But, I mean, not to compare Wellington Castillo to him again, but Wellington Castillo was going to be the next catcher for many, many years for this team. He didn't have maybe the the late-blossoming pedigree or the hype around uh, around uh, Contreras, that Contreras has, but they got rid of him for nothing. And he's one of the top offensive catchers in the game today. Which is, which is, you know, that says something. They let him go for nothing. Uh, that is what keeps kind of, you know, gnawing at me. And the other thing that that I was thinking about in all this, maybe, and this is possible, maybe the Cubs have something. There was a great article in Baseball America, I think it was last year, in kind of how they groom their catchers and and their philosophy on finding guys that really, really want to be at that position, and that's what it takes, and that the rest they can teach. So maybe they're seeing indicators that. That don't aren't reflected in FR, in Fra that that we can't see that they they see his development and they see these indicators and they think ah he's on the path he's going to be just fine he's going to get to a place where the framing is going to be what what we need from a catcher and 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 maybe that's that's it and we just aren't aware of those metrics or those indicators. Yeah, there's definitely more than meets the eye for us. A couple of thoughts, a lot of thoughts there, actually. One, they made a terrible trade for Wellington Castillo. Yeah, um, agreed. agreed. One of the worst moves they've made, and they should have just gone ahead and carried three catchers. Castillo's bat played perfectly well off the bench, and you know he probably could have suitably filled in at first base. It was a terrible trade, and one I'm sure they would like back. Um, another interesting tidbit I thought is, I'm not sure if it was Jason McLeod or Theo Epstein, I think it was Theo Epstein, but Epstein came out and said, the things that that well uh, that Wilson Contreras needs to work on are uh, his game calling and working with a staff because mm-hmm. AAA is the first level where they get really advanced scouting reports. Yeah. So being able to work with the pitchers and understanding the sequencing that a various hitter should get, etc. What he didn't say is he needs to work on his pitch framing. And I, I still believe that that Epstein holds more things close to his vest than people realize, and he talks with more nuance than people realize. But he didn't say it, so I don't think it's that big of an issue to him, and I think it's probably the Cindy Crawford thing again where he's going, 
I'm not going to throw this out there because I think I'll get laughed at a little bit because he is so good. I, I just the other thing I'd like to point out is is Wellington Castillo was tw 25 when he played at AAA. Wilson Contreras just turned 23, so he's almost two full years older, and he OPS right around right around 800 at two years older. Hit 260, 375. Wilson Contreras in his sample size, which is almost exactly the same, it's 47 games. He's OPSing 1,013. He's hitting. Actually, he just legged out an infield single, so he's two for two with a walk tonight. He's now hitting 343, and his on base is about 440 now. Um, <laughs> it's just not even in the same stratosphere as far as quality of hitters. So it's kind of apples to oranges there. I feel like Wellington Castillo was a, a late bloomer, kind of one of those guys. I was like, hey, this is nice to have. Okay, yeah, now let's trade him. Wilson Contreras is on a totally different level. You're talking a top. At this stage, I'd call him the top 15 prospect in all of baseball. I think he's head and shoulders better than the next catching prospect. Uh, I just think that anything other than calling him the catcher of the future is definitely splitting hairs. Um, am I detecting a little bit of maybe someone infringing upon your Addison Russell love? No. Like, I mean, uh, you know, no. I'm just going off what I'm hearing. It's getting a little heated in here. Yeah, I'm a one-trick pony. I, I'll stay true. I'll stay true. But I am hugely bullish on this guy. I, when I met him and have watched him play, he reminds me in presence a little bit of Salvador Perez. Um, and actually the way he moves around behind the plate it reminds me of Perez as well. Even his bat, I think, profiles similarly to Perez, which is kind of middling power but really good bat-to-ball skills. The one thing I think Contreras does a lot better is he actually takes a walk. Um, so... I see a ton of upside still in Wilson, even beyond what he's doing, and I, I really think he's an, he's going to be an all-star behind the plate. Uh, and and I agree. I mean, I think I think we're kind of all on the same side on this one. But I, I just there's still something about the way that well, whatever we've we've already covered it. I, I did want to get the, your thoughts on. Okay, I think we talked about this two weeks ago, but carrying three catchers, how long is this going to go? I, I feel like. It, they tried it last year. It ended up in disaster when Wellington Castillo got given away for nothing. I just don't see. I don't see it lasting for very long. Yeah, and it actually bothers me because I. First of all, I think it says something about Miguel Montero's health. That's a good uh, point. I think that's that's part of the issue, and they're not disclosing something about where maybe he's dealing with a lot of general soreness every day after he catches or something. But what bothers me about it is that they're carrying a guy Tim Fedorovich, and no harm meant here, but he doesn't he doesn't belong in the roster. And if they didn't feel comfortable doing it with Wellington Castillo, uh, why are they doing it with Tim Fedorovich? So. It's, it's a little bit annoying to me, but at the same time, I think they're definitely telling us something without saying it, which is that one of their catchers is dealing with some sort of ailment. Well, Montero's looked pretty... I mean, as of a couple days ago, he had thrown out one of 18 base dealers. Yeah. So, um, and I was at a game, um, the Arietta game, last week, and um, he was bouncing... The, he was, the ball was bouncing all over the place, um, on him behind the plate. He bounced a couple into second base. He threw one into the outfield because there was no one there. Uh, it, you know, and it was an airmail throw anyway. So I think clearly something is amiss with him. So I, I, I think you're right that there is um, something going on with him. I just want to point out, Carlos, I don't know if you noticed this, but Isaac did uh, mention that, uh, well, um, when I uh, hung out, with you know 
all the Cubs stars who were you talking about? Uh, Rick Sutcliffe and Andre Dawson. I forget who you were, you were big timing us. So I was so starstruck by what you said that um, I don't even I don't even know what to say. I just shocked. Well, and that that actually came out a little differently than I meant it, but um, it was when I was interviewing Almora, Contreras was just kind of around taking batting practice with him and was there and he was talking to people and working with people and I just felt like he had a really um, a presence that was beyond his years and it, it felt like sort of a leadership presence which I was impressed by and he's just kind of a big striking guy and it was it's just impressive but the last thing I want to point out about his season this year which is I think the one thing people were a little perplexed with last year um, he slugged 478 across Double uh, A and um, in the fall league, he slugged quite a bit better, 547. But you kind of looked at him and said, okay, he had 34 doubles in 126 games, which is really nice. That's a great number. It's a huge number. That's over 40 doubles extrapolated over a full season. So that's wonderful, and 478 is good. But you thought maybe there was more power there. This year, he's turned that power. He has more home runs in less than a third, in a third of the games this year. He has nine compared to eight last year um, than he did. He has 13 doubles. So his power has changed. Some of that is the league, for sure, because the PCL is very hitter-friendly. But his power has shifted from doubles to home runs. This year, he's slugging 585, so he's jumped 107 points, even with the promotion to AAA. So you've really seen him turn the power on. He's got 24 extra base hits in 47 games, which is just a huge number. So I think that's also a huge step up for his game. Not only did he elevate his on-base percentage, but he's also hitting for a lot more power. So I think he's, he's buying into the approach that they're teaching. That's a good point about maybe Montero being hurt and that kind of being a reason. I, I mean, I, I did see him last week at Fight Club, so, I mean, I can't imagine going out there and catching you, you him. Were, they're going to not let you back because you're talking about it. <sighs> it's okay. I'll just edit this part out. Sorry, guys. That's cool. Uh, but but moving on to our next topic, kind of in the same vein of, of you know, having three having all these players and trying to fit them in. I bet, The other day it popped in my head. How good of a job is Joe Madden doing? And the obvious immediate answer is, oh, he's doing pretty well. I mean, the best best record in baseball. Everybody's happy. the The team is winning. Uh, the pitching is outstanding. Uh, and it seems to, he can, you know, he's mixing and moving all these pieces around, and they all seem to come through uh, at different points. So, at first blush, everything seems great. But of course, when you've got the best record in baseball, everything seems great. Uh, what do you guys think about the job uh, that Joe Madden is doing? And, and that's one question. And then I want to kind of get a little bit deeper into one specific topic. But Joel, what's what's your take right now? I mean, I know that what's the Pythagorean? I don't know the Cubs Pythagorean record, but isn't it actually incredibly better? Not it's incredibly better, but it's comma incredibly. It's yeah. better. Underperforming. Than, it's like five yes. games. It's it like five, five games. Yeah. Really? Wow. It was, it was four and a half going into Saturday. I haven't looked at it since, but it's it's got to be right at five because we lost by one again. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't have too many complaints. Um, I I was thinking about this today. I guess the two things that that uh, come to mind when I think about what Madden's doing. I mean, you know, there's there's all the positives. There's there's the presence that he has. Um, Isaac, you were talking about Contreras' presence. Joe Madden has presence. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, I love his quotes. He's got this kind of Phil Jackson, but not so sanctimonious Zen uh, philosophy. Uh, I, I love so much about him. But the two things that that I do wonder a little bit about. Um, and Isaac, like I said, you mentioned this. A, a, I don't know, a couple months ago, I think it was. But we were talking about how. 
Um, you know, the whole point was, okay, we got to the playoffs and Arietta was gassed and the, the pitching, you know, fell apart against the Mets. Yeah, and, and this was my follow-up question, so I want to hear what you have to say about that. Well, it's just, you know, the the point was we need to the, the Cubs need to take the guys out rest them a little more and they weren't doing that and they you know they they took Lester out tonight and he left for the 6-0 lead and now it's 6-4 to four, by the way I don't know if you guys are seeing this um, but you know I, I, I guess it concerns me a little bit that the you know I would like to see Arietta and Lester and Hamill you know because Hamill is still kind of the wild card everyone you know when he went down with the, the hamstring tweak uh, two games ago Everyone was kind of like, uh-oh, here it is. This is the injury, and it's all going to fall apart here. So I guess I would just be a little uh, – I would be happy to see him pull the pitchers a little earlier um, because that was what they talked about in the offseason, and he hasn't really been doing that as much as I would like. Yeah, and I'll try to sound more nuanced than I normally do with this take, but I, I feel like with Joe you kind of take – some of the silliness with his genius. I I knew enough about his managerial style coming in that, that there would be some times when I'd really get frustrated. But to me, Joe Madden is years, decades of, ahead of most managers as far as the way he handles the clubhouse and the way he kind of eschews rules for just saying, um, you know what, work hard, show up, do your thing, and nothing else matters. And and that's actually something that I feel like the workplace in general is way behind on. Uh, there's, <laughs> you know, everything in life is so serious and, and frankly we take all the wrong things seriously I think a lot. So Madden understands that better than basically anybody else I've ever read about or, or you know seen. He's really truly transcendent in that regard. So nothing but praise for him and he's why he's my favorite manager in the game and, and has been for a long time. His game management is is totally different for me. I feel like he's still managing in the American League. I don't feel like he understands how to handle the pitcher spot. I don't get why he continues to leave uh, pitchers in to hit and then pulls them immediately. I have noticed that, and that drives me crazy. That's happened a couple times. It drives me bananas. I mean, well, let's 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 break that down. What do you think it is? Do you think he just changes his mind later, or no? No, I think it's all preconceived. I I think he just. It, yesterday in the fifth inning, when it was pretty clear Ariota was coming out because he'd thrown 100 and however many pitches it was, and the Cubs are down, is either one, I think it was one run, maybe two runs, and he had Anthony Rizzo on the bench with a man on in and a, and a spot where he had a chance to tie it, and he hit with Arietta, not only hit with Arietta, but he bunted with Arietta, which was just incredibly Scary. confusing call. Terror, it was a horrible decision, and I didn't get it at all. It felt like sort of an American League move with a ninth hitter or something. Uh, it just, it didn't, you had really good bats on the bench and, and Hayward and Rizzo and you didn't use them and I was flabbergasted. So there are often times, I've, I've been very critical of how long you leave starters in when we had an eight-man pen especially. There are often times that I'm very frustrated by him, but again, I just kind of take it with understanding how amazing he is in the clubhouse and it's it's part of it you know i think his genius sometimes causes him to do peculiar things i think i think you're right and i think it's interesting to break it down the way you did by those two categories kind of the the game management and then the the softer skill side of it which you're right i mean he's he's way way far above everybody else and and 
and workplaces in general. It's a good point. I want to point out that uh, we're recording this as the game was going on. The Cubs just got that third out after a super rocky ninth inning, 6-4 over the Phillies. Yeah, yeah, that was a little scary. <laughs> so, so maybe this was there, there's there's not a lot of fire where the the, the smoke on Joe Madden. Um, he's he's I think we're all in agreement. He's doing a he's doing. We couldn't ask for anything better than this, uh, especially with the players and, and kind of the roster that he has. He's, he's doing a great job. Um, in that related vein, though, I also want to talk about this vaunted flexibility, right, of this team. And I, I, I am of the opinion that it is an incredibly valuable thing, having a guy like Javi Baez that can play multiple positions, having Chris Bryan that you can take out to left field, bring him in at third, shift him over to first if need be, all this flexibility. I would I haven't looked at other teams closely, but I'm betting this is the most flexible team, however we want to quantify that, in Major League Baseball. But there's also a lot of youth on this team, and, and that means that, you know, other than Anthony Rizzo going out there and getting you know, 160 games uh, under his belt. Not everybody's going to play as much as they would if this roster wasn't as flexible. Does that hurt the development of some of these young players? Or is it, you know, does it not make a difference? I mean, we're not talking about a ton of at-bats, but still. Anything to this? What do you think, Isaac? Um, probably, and that's part of the beauty of trying to win, is that development comes second and winning comes first, which this is the first time in five years we can say that. So, um, yeah, a guy like Javi Baez could probably stand to be in there every day, and he's the one that sticks out. I don't see it really hurting anybody else too much. Early in the year, it, it definitely hurt Jorge Soler, um, but he's been getting more regular starts, so I don't think it's as much of an issue now. But it's a little bit interesting because you have this super flexible team and you had all this depth, and now you're looking at probably your second least flexible guy and Kyle Schwarber going down for the year, and then your first least flexible guy and Jorge Soler going down, and we don't know how long he just pulled his hamstring, but I'm assuming it'll be a little bit of an injury. So now you've got this team full of guys that can play anywhere between Zobrist and Listella <laughs> and Baez and Bryant and you know Russell could play anywhere in the infield if you wanted him to. Of course, Fowler and Caesar could play all over the outfield if you wanted him to. So you've, you've got like this group of guys that you can pretty much just roll out there like dice and see where they land and it's, it's really exciting and fun to watch. Um, but to your broader point, I, I do think it probably holds back Javi Baez's bat a little bit. But I think it goes back to the point I made last week about them really just trying to mature him as a baseball player and and getting his feet under him and trying to elevate his floor and um, really establish... I love that phrase, by the way, elevate his floor. Yeah, just establish his base running and his versatility around the diamond to give him a lot of confidence. And I, I do think we're starting to see some signs of his bat coming around. He had a, a, a nice weekend. So, Joel, I'll get your take on this, too. Um, you know, I, not having played the game as much as you guys have, I am just going to have to defer to... Um, I mean, I, I've wondered that, though, myself. I have to say, I've wondered, like, you know, moving Chris Bryant... When I was at the game last week, um, he played shortstop. So, I don't know if you guys saw that, but we were, I was sitting with some guys who were like, holy shit, is Chris Bryant at shortstop right now? And he was. Uh, that was for a shift, but, you know, I think that it's maybe part of Madden's genius and that he, he kind of preaches this, don't get caught up in the moment, don't get freaked out, we're here to have fun, you know, let's wear crazy suits, let's smoke up 
But, uh, <laughs> well, probably actually. What I meant to say was, let's show up in a uh, <laughs> yeah, of course it was seventies van, you know, with with uh, dressed up like a deadhead, you know. So he preaches kind of a, it's no big deal, just get out there and have fun and do what comes naturally. And so I wonder if this is part of his psychology, part of his kind of gamesmanship. Is like, don't get attached to to one base, like. Chris Bryant, don't think, I'm a third baseman, I'm a third baseman, I'm a third baseman, I can only play third base. It's like, hey, man, you can play anywhere. Just, you know, catch the ball and then hit it, and it's fine. <laughs> like, I seriously wonder if that's how he looks at it because I think that maybe he doesn't want them to get caught up in some sort of role and just kind of roll with things instead. Mm. So um, that's kind of, I don't have anything to back that up other than just, you know, he's kind of this uh, Looney Tunes genius, and it kind of fits with that theory. Well, yeah. I think it's a good point in that when things are going this well and when everything's positive, this is your opportunity to try something like this, especially if you have the if you have the personnel that can do it, then, you know, give it a shot and and there's I don't see the downside to it. Like this was me nitpicking on, oh, well the young guys will they develop like Isaac said this is about winning uh, and and development comes secondary. So I, I think it makes sense, too. Uh, yeah, I just can't get over the fact either. And Zobrist was interviewed on the field. I've seen him actually a couple different times. I've asked him the same question. But um, they asked him, you know, oh, how is it basically having an everyday role at second? Is that better? Blah, blah, blah. And he kind of gives the PC answer. Oh, yeah, it's nice coming being prepared. It just blows me away that we have Ben Zobrist on this team, and he's like the guy that we're rolling out to play the same position every day. I can't, it's <laughs> so ironic. That's a good point. You know, have, have they played him in the outfield at all? Yeah, yeah. Er, early on, he got some starts in right. Mm -hmm. Did he? Okay. Because yeah. I, I didn't remember that. And I mean, he was the guy who, you know, was going to be your every all over the place guy. And I wonder, um, you know, Baez is now the guy doing that. And. You know, he you could make an argument that he's improved at the play. His power numbers are down, but his strikeouts are way down too, and he's making yeah. you know decent contact. And uh, Carlos, he hit that double the other day that took the opposite field. So is he starting to win you over a little bit? Oh yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I, I wanted to kind of bring bring more to the to the show is um, th these moments, in game moments that really stand out. <clears throat> Not to take anything away from that bat of the week, but but uh, happy buys. I think it was Monday of last week a week ago today where he did that push bunt up the first baseline uh, and, you know, he, and he slid in and it, he, he, I think he made it to, he made it to first base that time. Um, a player that can do that to, 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 to kind of get something going, especially if you're in a slump or whatever, and then to also, you know, hit a long home run. And I, be, I believe it was yesterday. He went the opposite field, which is, I love to see from young guys. It, it, it's a good sign, and I and I like seeing those signs. Um, and he's just a fun guy to watch. And the the young players, and that maybe this is another part of it, right? Like you've got all these young guys. It's easier for young guys that haven't been programmed into that mentality that Joel was talking about. Of no, I am a second baseman, therefore I must be at second base. Mm -hmm. And you're, it's it is ironic they bring Zobrist over, but it's like all right, well you're 35 or whatever he is. Let's give him. Let's let's secure him over here in this position where he's not going to go out and pull something because he's you know playing out of position or whatever. So um, it is interesting that the, the emblem of flexibility is our everyday second baseman. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, and Baez is interesting because people keep talking about, and, and there have been some struggles, don't get me wrong, he's walking at a less than 3% rate, so he hasn't been Ouch. perfect. But, but 
people keep talking about his power being down, and I don't mean to refute that necessarily, but he's got four home runs and five doubles and 107 at-bats. If you give that guy 550 at-bats and extrapolate that out, it's 21 home runs and 26 doubles, you know? So from a shortstop, second baseman, slash everything, uh, that's a ton of power. You know, he's slugging 411, so it's not like he's got no power. He's actually still hitting a lot of home runs. So... Um, I don't know. It's interesting that this guy, he's played 41 games. He's been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't had a ton of at-bats, you know, 113 in that amount of time. He's got a, a war of .6 in that amount of time. So you're talking about a two-and-a-half or three-win player with doing what he's doing. So it's easy to look at sort of what he's not and say, well, he's not that, but he's still been very valuable. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I think that we, we've spent more time talking about him and Soler than anyone, and it makes sense because they're the two guys with kind of the most uh, whose status is kind of the most up in the air. But tonight, he went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts, and mm-hmm. his on-base percentage is 280. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I I mean, I'm a fan. I'm not trying to bust on the guy, but he is. You're talking about buys here. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that he's the kind of guy, and maybe maybe he will always be that. Maybe he will be the guy that will wow you one day and break your heart the next. Um, yeah, yeah, could be. Well, it's interesting. One, one other point I want to make on this, on the, on the, you know, does it hurt development? What Isaac mentioned, traditionally, how do you develop a player that has nothing left to prove in the minor leagues? You put him out there and give him his 500 at-bats and sink or swim, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see if you can do it. Um, but maybe this is another way of maybe the front office sees something the way that you know Rizzo came up and struggled the first time. You know, perhaps it's it's another strategy that they're playing here that if we if they can get this guy started and get him on a positive note for a full season, even if it's an at bat here and there, contributing defensively across all these different positions, contributing on the base paths, contributing in all these other ways, if he finishes the season, regardless of what his numbers are, as long as they're not, you know, I mean, if you if you play 500 at-bats and you hit 220, you know, your confidence is going to be shot. But if he can keep it around where he is now, get get some home runs here and there, and feel like he was a contributor to a winning major league ball club. Maybe that's a better stepping stone to, uh, you know, to getting a season of 500 at bats, you know, next year or down the line. I don't know. Well, and yeah, it's interesting. It's because Rizzo, I think, is the perfect example of that of a guy who struggled. So that's a, a good point. Um, again, bringing it back to perspective though of Javi Bias, take a look at the Cardinals' middle infield of Aledmus Diaz and uh, Colton Wong. Both of those guys are almost three years older, two and a half to three years older than Javi Baez. Colton Wong just got sent back to the minors. And, you know, Diaz, he's been very hot, but he's been ice cold for a while. And, again, he's three years older. So Baez just turned 23 in December, and there's been many a superstar who have not even debuted in the major leagues until they were 23, 24, 25 years old. So you got to keep that in perspective. We've been totally, totally spoiled by the Bryants and even yeah. the Rizzo's, the Addison Russell's, and the Schwarber's that are coming up at 21, 22. Yeah. Yeah. It's just those guys are unicorns, and yet we've had four of them. So Baez, you know, he may be a year or two slower in his development, but he can still be a star. Um, he's so young, and he's so young, and he's not getting the sink or swim treatment because he's so versatile, and that's credit to him. So yeah. He, he's a wait and see. He is. I, I just think that he's got 
tremendous natural talent that basically nobody else in the field has. Oh, I mean, I, I totally agree, and I think that I think it's a luxury that they have, and it's it's amazing to think of where they were a couple years ago, and now they have like they can just kind of be patient. We talked about this. I I think it was last week when we talked about how they have the luxury of really working with him and being like, mm-hmm. you don't, you know, five six. Whenever the the Henry era was, they would have brought him up. Be like, okay, be our star, carry us. Oh, you suck. We're trading you for a bag of balls, you know. Um, but they have the luxury of kind of slowly, methodically helping him along. And you've seen the change in his swing. And he still does, you know, try to hit the seven run homer sometimes. But he, you've also seen some growth from him. Um, and I think we've all seen. It. And maybe that's, maybe that's from them working with him. Maybe that's just a product of him being having a great work ethic and working his ass off. But I do think that they are, and that's that's one of the things I love the most about this regime. They're not like I mean I still and I you know, being older I remember when Ed Lynch said, well you know we're gonna do what we can to make the playoffs and cross our fingers from there. And it was the most <laughs> infuriating quote because you. Didn't he, there was clearly no method. It was like we're just going to throw a bunch of stuff in the pot and put it on the oven and hope it tastes good, you know. And there's just there was no method. And now you have you can see that they're looking down the road for bias. And and you're exactly right, Isaac. That you know what what you're seeing from him now is pretty good. What you're going to see from him are two for two or three years from now, with this patience, is I'm thinking. I'm hoping is going to pay off huge. Yeah, there's a reason they haven't traded this guy, and Joe Madden's a big part of that, and been screaming about it for years not to trade him. But it, Baez is interesting too because there's almost nobody to compare him to. I'm sure there's there's some out there, and our listeners can chime in and, and let us know who they are. But his athleticism and his versatility and his glove are so special, and then pair that with his power. I, I cannot think of anyone off the top of my head that at his age has that kind of uh, of package. Um, Whoa! You know, guys like Carlos Correa come to mind, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm not. Correa is an absolute freak of nature, but but the incredible athleticism at that age and the baseball instincts is so rare that you don't see it much. So the development process to guys like us that that analyze the game a lot and look at it is going to look different than it is with a guy that you know maybe comes up with a really refined approach but isn't that athletic um, a Billy Butler or somebody like that where you know what he is because of the way he approaches the game but there's a lot more factors with Baez and that the algebra is a lot tougher to understand what he could be or couldn't be and the variables the ceilings much higher the floors much lower so it's a little bit unique and I, I'm not sure any of us have a lot of great context for it yeah, you know, I, real quick, I know that we spent a lot of time on Baez. I just want to say, uh, I want to ask you guys, what's your favorite Javier Baez memory? If you think about him, just real quick, off the top of your head. Easy, lackey. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. Carlos? Uh, I guess I would I would go there, but uh, a guy I work with just got this like poster sent to him, and it's the cover of that Sports Illustrated I- issue where he's hit the game winner, and he's like coming to home plate with all the like, team waiting for him. Yeah. So that's kind of top of mind. Yeah. yeah, and I also love that play. And I think it was—I I, want to say it was the Pirates or the Brewers, where he threw home on a grounder, and he threw like like 97 miles an hour. Oh right! And, and it was just such a beautiful—it was such a shocking play, but he pulled it off so beautifully and nailed the guy, and everyone was just like, "What?" Um, but <laughs> it was more. great. So yeah. 
one more the futures game home run when he when he pointed down Brian at third. I thought that was beautiful. That's a great picture. That still shot. Nice. I, I don't remember that one. What, what was the story behind that? Uh, they were playing against each other. Maybe not the. It was either the futures game or like the international game. I can't remember. Uh, but they were playing against each other, and Baez had a, had a, a rocket home run and rounding second base. He was coming up to Bryant, and he just he pointed him down, not in like a mean way, but just like a <laughs> "I got you" type of way. And Bryant kind of laughed and smacked him on the butt. It was pretty pretty good moment. That's cool. Well, I like the comment you made about you know we have all these unicorns. Um, so we're gonna I think I'm gonna title this podcast "Petting the Unicorns" or the, the podcast where we get to pet the unicorns. Hopefully, wow. that'll pass pass the, sure. the censors. <laughs> yeah, okay then. Strict. Moving right along, uh, I know Isaac, you've been working on a piece uh, about lefty relievers, and I know I believe it was last week that you guys talked about this. I did listen to the podcast, even though I was not on it. That uh, this was like this seems to be the consensus one part of this roster that if if a change if, if there's a change coming, this is probably where it's coming. Is, is that does your piece address that, Isaac, at all? It does, and there have been kind of two categories talked about a lot as far as an acquisition for the Cubs. The first has been the starting pitching, which um, the problem with that is that there's pretty much no one on the market that's an upgrade from what we've seen so far from Hendricks and Hamill on the back end. So it would be really tough for them to justify going out and paying a lot for a starting pitcher right now. So if you look at the second most kind of discussed area, it's a left-handed reliever and more specifically a specialized reliever. But what's interesting about this team is that all of Rondon, Strope, and Grimm have been uh, really good against lefties, talking about OPSs in the 3-4-500 ranges for lefties against those three. So I'm not sure that the need is as exacerbated as people believe that it is, um, but you know, it is pretty unsettling to think about the fact that Clayton Richards has been really, really rough. He's he's allowed an OPS of over a thousand against lefties. Travis Wood has been fairly good against lefties, but he's also your best long man. So yeah. that's a little bit awkward if if Wood comes in in the sixth and pitches, you know, maybe an out or two in the sixth and the seventh, and then you need a loogie in the eighth. Uh, you don't have anybody to go to unless you're okay with going uh, a reverse split guy like Strope, which maybe they are, but. It takes a little more digging to kind of see that. So what my piece coming out tomorrow is detailing is some of the more obvious uh, targets around the league and guys that could be available. And um, I'll just run through this list real quick and see who strikes you as interesting. But I had Jake McGee, Sean Doolittle, um, Fernando Abad from the Twins, Justin Wilson, Will Smith, uh, Jose Alvarez, Brad Hand, Andrew Miller, Aroldis Chapman, and Danny Duffy of the Royals. So... um, of those three names, I kind of picked out uh, Miller, Doolittle, and I think Wilson. Miller, Doolittle, and Wilson. They all pair m- multiple years of control, dominance against other lefties, but they're also split neutral and, and can get righties out. want to hear you guys' thoughts on who you might like there. Where is Andrew Miller now? Yankees. Okay, he's still with the Yankees. All right, well, yeah, yeah that, that, I mean, that seems like a a good fit in terms of the depth that they have over there, whether it's Miller or, I mean, Chapman obviously would be more expensive, but, and, you know, the issues surrounding that acquisition might taint the the clubhouse a bit. Uh, But Miller, I mean, that that name stands out to me. Well, and actually Miller's going to cost more than Chapman because Chapman's a free agent this year, and I do think his his value is suppressed by the the questions off field. But Miller's got two years after this at... um, 
I think, $9 million per year, which actually for a guy that's been by far the best reliever in baseball this year, it's a bargain. So I think the acquisition cost for Miller is going to be really high. I think somewhere in between what the Red Sox gave up, uh, Manuel Margot uh, for Craig Kimbrell, and what mm-hmm. the Astros gave up for um, Ken Giles. That trade is a trade that should never be duplicated. It was completely irresponsible. But I think you'll see a package in between those two for Miller. And he's he's my preferred target because he's just utterly dominant. And he's a guy that can yeah. look really good with Hector Rondon in the eighth and ninth inning, whichever way you want to shake it. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm just uh, looking at his numbers here. They're obviously uh, very impressive. And he's also got uh, some years in Boston, and Theo just seems to have a way to get those guys, you know, uh, with Lester and Ross and Rizzo. Um, so I, I, I've heard his name a lot, and I they have the... You know, I've heard his name with, with other teams too, um, but the Cubs have so much more to work with, you know, in the minors and so many more prospects. I... I think they'll go after him, and and I uh, I remember getting in a one of those dumb heated arguments with people over baseball, and you walk away fuming, and then ten minutes later you're like, God, we look like such idiots, <laughs> you know, basically yelling about baseball. But I remember yelling at this guy who was a Cards fan. I you know I said I think the Cubs are going to get John Lester, and this was a couple years ago, obviously. And he's like, Why would you say that? And I said because they have more money than God and Theo. Uh, was with them in Boston, and he said it doesn't matter, and, and I was right, and and so I'm not saying that therefore I'll be right here, but I just this there's been a lot of smoke of, around this guy and the Cubs. Maybe it's just you know media conjecture, but I think they realize they have an issue, and they have the horses in the minor leagues to work with, and I think they're going to go after him and. And I'm I'm every time the Yankees lose, that's a better thing for the Cubs almost than um, the Cardinals or Pirates losing because it, you know that means that they'll be they're going to be out of it, and so they're likely to want to trade him. Yeah, and they may not trade Miller just because you know they're going to trade Chapman because he's going to be a free agent, right. and they're such a proud franchise that they may not actually acknowledge the fact that they're not going to be good for several years, which has been apparent for a long time, even when they went on their huge spending sprees. It just compl- totally dumb, horribly dumb decision. But keep this in perspective that you might pucker up at what the cost will be to get Miller. Uh, Joel Sherman came out today and not a not a wonderful piece to be honest, but he came out today and said that um, it had been asked whether or not they would consider trading Kyle Schwarber for Andrew Miller, which is just obscene and I, I don't know how that ever gets through an editorial board to be honest, but um, the fact that that's even being floated out there is <laughs> a little scary, so we've got to keep in perspective that the the cost is going to hurt. Think probably a couple of our top five prospects. Um, if it's something surrounded by Ian Happ and, and a couple of pieces beyond that, I'm all for it. Bye. They, I'll pack his bags. Yeah, I agree. But if they start to asking for Contreras no. or somebody like that, I'm not going to do it. So if we say no to uh, Glaber Torres and Wilson Contreras, it might not. We might not be able. The Cubs might not be able to get a, a deal done. So. I really think that the Yankees are going to try and fleece somebody after the Ken Giles trade. So it remains to be seen. I I don't. I would get. I would trade Glaber Torres. Um, I feel like they've have enough infield depth. They've got Hap. You know, obviously it's going to be a while before he's here, but they've got. You know, he's he looks promising. They've got Baez. Um, 
Russell is young. I, I feel like they have enough infield uh, depth that I would, you know, unhappily, but I would trade him. I would not trade Man. Contreras. Man, I, I, I'm with you in that I think Contreras is actually the one guy down there that is untouchable to me, but... Torres is his slow start might be clouding our minds on what he is. He's he's 781 now as a 19 year old in high A, which is a really tough hitters league. Um, I don't know. He's got 10 steals as well. Um, he's walking. He's walked uh, 24 times this year, which is a lot. So his on base is actually a healthy 342. He's got 22 extra base hits as a 19 year old. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm willing to deal either of those guys for. Uh, for a relief pitcher. Well, I think what you mentioned earlier, Isaac, is is good to keep in mind that it's going to hurt mm-hmm. to make it a significant acquisition. But you know, when that trading deadline comes up, the clamor and the you know people are going to be they're going to want a move. This is it. This is the year. Make a move. I don't I don't care who you have to give up if they're not on the roster. Trade them. Do you think they can acquire a guy like Miller without uh, trading anybody from the major league team? It just depends on the Yankees' perspective. Um, I, I think it could make sense. Say the Cubs went out and put together a package of something like Ian Happ, Billy McKinney, uh, Heimer Candelario, and Dan Vogelbach. If I'm the Yankees, I think that's a really attractive package. If I'm the Cubs, I probably do that. Um, that's a slam dunk, I think. But they might, well, I mean, yeah. It's, From the Cubs' perspective. It's, it's four top tens. It's it's a lot. But the Yankees might insist on getting a, a headliner like Vince Velasquez or Margot or somebody like that. So it, it depends on whether or not they're willing to take a lot of quality and, and kind of stay away from the one super glitzy name. So if they'll do that, if they'll take two first-rounders in Ian Happ and, and – and, um, Billy McKinney, and then two nice pieces in Candelario and Vogelbach, then yeah, I think they can get it done. But it just it really comes down to whether or not the Yankees really hold feet to the fire for getting a, a stud, stud, stop, stud like top twenty, you know, uh, prospect in this deal. It's going to be interesting as as that trade deadline gets closer and closer. How uh, how some teams become most unreasonable, <laughs> and they might pluck some of these guys away from the Cubs. Um, so let's let's move on to our uh, 60 seconds with a former Cub. Joel, I want to see if I remember or saw the guy that you're going to pick. Um, where would you have seen him? Uh, on the television, unless it was before television when you were, you know. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, like uh, maybe I was, you know, sitting around the Victrola listening to him. Victrola, I guess, was a record player, so we were sitting around the old radio. <laughs> Uh, this was, this was um, they can't all be winners, Carlos. Um, this was uh, Carlos Zambrano because uh-huh. there's there's a news hook here, as we say in the biz, because on June 1st, uh, it was the anniversary of him and Michael Barrett getting in the fight. Um, uh-huh. So there was a little bit of a, a hook there, as they say. So that's a right hook. <laughs> nice. Well done. Um, All right, ready? Yeah. Ready? Tell us about Carlos Zambrano. What's your favorite memory of the Carlos Zambrano era? Let's just go down the list in no particular order. There was the fight with Michael Barrett in the dugout and the clubhouse. There's a time he got tossed by an ump, then pointed the ump and threw him out. Perhaps you remember his famous quote, We stinks. Or how he retired. (laughs) He threw a Chipper Jones twice, 
got tossed, went to the locker room, cleaned it out, and was done. The bottom line is we forget he posted excellent numbers for many years. His fastball touched 100, accumulated five seasons of 3.7 or more war, even tossed a no-hitter, although it was in Milwaukee because of a hurricane in Houston. So the lesson is Zambrano, or Big Z, gets overlooked as a pitcher because we remember his unhinged freakouts. But there's one more thing I remember when I think of him. One time I ended up at a bar next to former GM Jim Hendry, and I was asking about several players. We got to Zambrano, he shook his head and said two words, and they rhymed with, trucking basshole. <laughs> so that's what I think of when I think of Carlos. He was... That's a good one, because he was a player that just, I remember his stuff and his sinker, and you just figured this guy was going to keep doing that year after year after year after year, and his personality issues, whatever, but this guy could just pitch, and to have him fall off the way he did and just disappear, I mean, what is he now, like mid-30s? He could still be pitching right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, there there are so many other things that I wanted to talk about, too. You know, there was the fact that, you know, when he broke the bat over his legs, I mean, I know some players have done that, but can you, I mean, we're like normal-sized humans. Can you imagine taking one of those bats and breaking it with your leg? That just seems like superhuman to me. That's like ripping the India phone book in half, you know? That just seems impossible. <laughs> he is, Carlos uh, Zambrano is 35, by the way. Um, but he also has 24 homers, which puts him seventh on the all-time homer list for pitchers. And he and Mike Hampton are the only two players um, who have uh, only two pitchers on that list in the top 20 who have played in the 2000s. The rest are old, like Rube Waddell and you know Three Fingers Brown. Not him, but players of that era. And then you've got the two modern guys. And uh, Hampton is low on the list, but Zambrano is there at seventh. I was going to say, if Three Finger Brown is on that list, he played in an area where nobody hit home runs. I was going to be like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, no, I just, I just love that. As the, that's like the classic old baseball player name. Can you, uh, can you reiterate something here? Were you talking to Henry while he was the existing GM of the Cubs? Uh, yes. And he, and he referred to his own player as the. I, he wasn't. He wasn't with the team anymore. I don't think. Oh, he'd he'd already gone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's strong. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, you know, I'll just, I don't want to speak ill of Jim, but um, he was, we were in a bar, and uh, that's the kind of place that Jim spends a lot of time, and so I think that he got a little loose with his tongue and, you know, was saying things that maybe he wouldn't have on the record, and I wasn't, you know, recording it or whatever, um, but but he, he said a lot of other things that I, I won't go into um, here in the podcast anyway. But, um, Save that for next week. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he, he kind of went off, and he, he, he said what he said about Zambrano, and he said he could have been one of the greats. That's uh, true. That's kind of exactly what you alluded to, Carlos. Like, he had just amazing stuff. And if he could, you know, I, I know we can't, like, put players in like a lab and you know say well if he could only do a little more of this and a little less of this but if he could have reined in his temper I know that made him part of who he was but you know there's a pretty fine line between fiery and out of control and he was uh, you know a little too often on the wrong side of that one and and don't feel too bad about his career ending before it probably should have he made 113 million dollars in his career so Wow. Is that, is that good? <laughs> Jeez. Could have made a lot more, but there you go. 
Yeah. Wes Farrell, by the way, is the all-time leader in home runs by a pitcher. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. I Good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Carl Zambrano. That's that's. I, I see him as the uh, personality issues aside. The the pitching version or the wait, they were both pitchers. I was thinking of Mark Pryor. How the first season I saw Mark Pryor, I was like, boom, Hall of Famer. Just just mm. just let him throw. No yeah. no. I was just so convinced, and then you know, he he at least had injuries that he could kind of look back and point to. But Carl Zambrano, Big Z. Yeah. Let me just I'll real quick go down the top ten list: Wes Farrell, Bob Lemon, Warren Spahn, Red Ruffing. That's who I was thinking when I said Rube Budell. I meant Red Ruffing. <laughs> Earl Wilson, Don Drysdale, John Clarkson, Bob Gibson. There's Carl Zambrano, Walter Johnson, Jack Stivitz, and then uh, former Cub Milt Pappas. Drysdale and Johnson, those are two of my favorites. They had to be two of the most intimidating guys to face, I think. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys see that video of Madison Bumgarner hitting bombs during BP? Yeah, he might be uh, He might be on the home run derby, which might oh, actually make yeah. it interesting-ish. Yeah, no kidding. All right, well, let's move on to our at-bat of the week. Isaac, take us, take us through what, what you saw this week. At bat of the week came on Wednesday, June 1st. Uh, it was actually in the third inning, which is a little bit unique, but it goes back to the first inning, which is why it qualifies as our at bat of the week this week. But if you go back to actually today, something that Jim Deshaies said on air really struck me. Um, the same at bat that Bryant uh, saw a pitch way outside, that was called for a strike two. He ended up hitting a, a really good pitch on the outside corner to right field for a base hit. And Rizzo did it on the next pitch for on a pitch that was about six inches outside. He lined it in the left field for a base hit. And J.D. said for both guys, he said, you cannot just uh, call these guys sluggers. These guys are professional hitters. And I, I had already chosen my bat of the week, but that really rang true for what I was going to talk about. In Chris Bryant's first at-bat against Mike Bolsinger on Wednesday, Bolsinger threw him three consecutive curveballs. The first one he took for strike one, and the next two he swung through uh, to strike out on three pitches. It was a little bit of an ugly at-bat, three pretty good curveballs from a not-very-good starter, but he made Bryant look pretty human. So the next time Bryant came up with a man on in the third inning, Bolsinger started him with a cutter for a ball. It was high. The next pitch he threw was a curveball, and this one stayed in a little bit more than his first one's head, but it still got towards the bottom of the zone. It was in the bottom third of the zone, not a terrible pitch by any means. And this time Bryant corrected, and he just pounded it to dead center field on a, an 0-1 pitch, or sorry, a 1-0 pitch, pounded it to center field for a two-run homer. Um, I just loved the fact that he was able to correct from Bullsinger's curveball, um, and he went right back to the well with him, and Bryant just totally made him pay. The next six innings, nobody scored. So it was a game-winning home run in the third inning for Chris Bryant. Cubs won 2-1, to and that is your at-bat of the week. Nice. Hey, um, I don't mean to rid on anyone's parade, but there was just a tweet that said, not sure what ha it was um, at Tommy Birch. Not sure what happened, but Contreras appears to be hurt. Trainer coming out to look at him coming out of the game. Ugh. That's Wilson Contreras. Hopefully so, it's nothing serious. Yeah. So just wanted to put that out there. Do you get Twitter alerts for any time that somebody says injured in a tweet and you just, every time it pops up, you... It seems like something. Yeah, it just it just, just kind of happened, you know. I, I get no joy out of making you cry. 
Well, maybe that's not true. Nobody believes that. Not even close. <laughs> I have new material to depress other people. Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, he just tweeted again and said he's walking back to the locker room with a team trainer. I blame this one on Joel. Yeah, I do too. I, I, accept, my, I accept my culpability. But going back to Brian, I mean, that's that that at bat is a perfect example of how this guy. I mean, it's amazing that he he's come in and done what he's done, making the adjustments that he's making. It's just a godsend to have this guy on on this team. It's it's incredible that he's come along so quickly. And uh, the piece on the baseball prospectus on the main site today, uh, with interviewing Jason McLeod. They talked about him and how they knew from from just like his personality and when they were scouting him before the draft, how they they knew this is the guy. If we're gonna put if we're gonna put a city on somebody's shoulders, this is the guy that can handle it. And he's just coming through and coming through time and time again. It's impressive. Yeah, and and you know what's interesting about Bryant is Bryant's probably the best player that I've ever seen come up through the Cubs system and be drafted and come all the way through and and play with the big league team. Uh, he's six five. He's a beautiful man. He is extremely good with the media. By by all accounts, he's just a, a wonderful human being. And I can't help but think that he is really underappreciated in Chicago. And I, I think that's because he's surrounded by such a good team and such a good looking team and a, a successful team. But I feel like if if this guy had come up like five or six years ago, he would have been an absolute god. And as it is, he's kind of just like. Ah, oh, yeah, he's great, but look at all the other great ones too. It's I, I actually feel like he's underappreciated in this city. I mean, I think you're you're probably right, but I also think it might be because he's so kind of low key and aw shucksy. You know, he's not like he's not like Bryce Harper. You know, and and I'm not saying that to bust on Bryce Harper. I'm I'm all for you know, um, what he said. I, I I'm a fan, but I think that. Bryant is so is like the antithesis of that, and he just doesn't call as much attention to himself. And for that reason, you know, he's not like a Dennis Rodman, you know, or a, he's more like a, you know, he puts up Michael, maybe not quite Michael Jordan numbers, but he's more of like a Scottie Pippen that he he does everything well, but he's not quite as appreciated. But um, I think I think that might be because of his personality. But his numbers, I mean, he he's what third in the National League in homers. His strikeout weight rate is down his batting average is up and this is just his second year you know i think i think it's pretty reasonable to think that he's got an mvp or two in his future yeah i think he might too it's it remains to be seen harper's going to be a really tough beat for a long time in the national league but he's he's certainly going to have a chance and if he can if he can get that on base up and keep the slugging you know in that 500 to 550 range then yeah i think he has a chance too but i don't know i it's a guy that we are incredibly lucky to watch play on a daily basis, and um, I, I have to remind myself that, um, you know, to kind of enjoy it, because it's not very often that you see a homegrown talent like that that represents the game as well as he does. I, I think that's a perfect way to end uh, this episode. I think you're right, and I would and I would say that to our to our listeners as well. Like, take appreciate the season. The, these players, these amazing players that we have, especially Bryant, uh, we're witnessing something special, um, and and so I encourage everybody to to really let it sink in and and savor it. And I would also encourage you to to give us some feedback. We've gotten some feedback out there. Uh, 
most of it good. Some some things that uh, some some people aren't digging as much as others, but we want to hear more from you. So you can reach us on Twitter uh, at uh, BP Wrigleycast. You can find us. You can email us BP uh, Wrigleycast at baseballperspectives.com, or you know tweet any one of us. Uh, we're happy to interact with you guys. Let us know what you want to hear about uh, next week on our episode. We're driven by our listeners, so uh, reach out, let us know, um, and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, guys, this was good. It was fun to be back. Yep, well, take care, Carlos. Yeah. See you guys. All right, Thanks. see you. Later. See you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.